Bem-vindos to one more episode of the Type Theory for All podcast. As always, this is your host Pedro Abreu, and I will keep this introduction simple because we will be talking about a very simple type theory. In this episode, I have a nice, nice conversation with Chris Jenkins to talk about the Seville theorem prover based on a very concise theorem prover called CDLE. I would say that the main selling point of Seville is that the theory is so small that the typing rules fit in one single page, and yet it is strong enough to do relevant theorem proving. This is probably the most technical episode so far. I hope you guys enjoy. Let's get into it! Ladies and gentlemen, today I have with me a fourth-year PhD student in the University of Iowa. He's advised by Dr. Aaron Stump, and is currently working in the development of the theorem prover, Sedil. A personal friend of mine who attended the Midland Summer School with me two weeks ago. With no further ado, Chris Jenkins! Please tell me you got that reference, dude. Yes, yes, and thank you. So Every single time I, read, I, I listen to your name, that's what I think. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me and uh, introducing me with a quite, um, quite exciting, uh, yes, introduction. Right. So for the listeners who doesn't know and, you know, never played Warcraft, World of Warcraft in their lives, this is a huge meme in the World of Warcraft lore. I'm going to leave the, the link in the description. You just watch it and it's, it's super fun. I hear you. You, you actually, you actually uh, the ND master, right? So like I thought, that, I thought you would you would know you would get this reference. So I prepared. Yeah, I I've, I've never actually played uh, World of Warcraft, but um, yes, I. <laughs> it's all right, <laughs> but yes, I um, I have uh, Dungeon Master before, so you know. Yeah, yeah. Pretty nerdy. Yeah, I tried I tried playing some some D and D in the past, but I don't know. I I just couldn't vibe with the group, and it didn't didn't pan out. It's a big thing, right? Yep, you got to make sure you've got a group of players that, you know, you have fun playing with, that's for sure. <laughs> so, I didn't get a chance to ask you this, but what did you think of the summer school? Oh, yeah, so for the listener who doesn't know, the Midland Summer School is a summer school that happened completely remotely. It happens in Birmingham, and it covers type theory, proof theory, what else? Some, yeah, things related to those topics, right? What did you think about it? Yeah, it was fun. Um, I do have, I don't know if you know, but I have a bit of a, something of a horror story, which I guess I'll share for the, the benefit of the, the audience. Not that bad, uh, more funny than anything. Um, but overall, I, I did enjoy it. You know, of course, the time zone is a bit off. So yeah, I couldn't attend some of the earlier lectures that I wanted to, wanted to see. But I did get to uh, attend the Isabel Hall one, which was a lot of fun, and also get a chance to, to talk to the people there and some of the other researchers and meet new people so uh aside from missing you know the early lectures uh live anyway they do have recordings it was a lot of fun the the story basically this is like a, a horror story just in general for virtual conferences especially ones run by zoom is that my client was um was acting buggy and okay. when they did the the virtual conference dinner you know where they have everyone in the main room and then they they assigned you to a random room with five or six different people. And when they did, my audio started, you know, well, my audio stopped working. So I had to quit and rejoin. And then I didn't get back into the room that I was originally assigned. So I had to wait for everyone to come back. And then when they did it again, my client crashed. 
And when I rejoined, there were two of me, you know, one, <laughs> one me that was frozen in the middle of laughing at something that, you know, Thorsten was doing that was kind of funny. And the other me that had just rejoined and the conference organizer, you know, th they thought that the way to solve this was to um, just kick out the other me, right? right? And then assign me to a room again. But as I was getting reassigned, Zoom was like, you've been banned from the conference. So <laughs> goodbye. Ooh, so you could not join anymore. I could not join. And I, you know, I, I tried to message someone on the unofficial Slack um, right. to get in. And I emailed the conference organizers. And they did change the setting. But unfortunately, it doesn't take effect unless you close and restart the, um, the Zoom session. So right. I missed out on the entire Aww. the entire conference dinner virtual dinner Aww. the the only silver lining of that is that apparently i became a little bit infamous so um, <laughs> <laughs> so i guess i guess that means that like you know i i wanted to to meet some of the researchers there and they had you know they knew about this incident so now i've got a higher chance of being remembered by them <laughs> just just because i was the unlucky person who got a hey talk talk good or bad about me just talk about me and that's fame man i would i would take it any day there you go yeah. so what did you think about isabel did you have any knowledge about it before i did not and most of the um the sessions were really about the theory of these uh, inductive and co-inductive definitions. So there was only oh. like a, a little bit of Isabel. From what okay. I saw, uh, it did seem really interesting, but I'd have to go look at the recordings of the um, the interactive sections, the exercise sessions to get a better feel for Isabel itself. Right. So yeah, you work a lot on inductive definitions and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. Did you learn anything new? Like what was the, the big thing there? I'm actually envious because I didn't, I didn't know they would go, you know, like into into the theory there because I also have research interests interest in those topics. Yeah, I, I did. I ultimately found it to be more of a reinforcement of some of the stuff I had already absorbed. Um, basically, it was it was looking at things from the point of view of order theory and Kleene's fixed ah. point theorem, um, right. and dualizing that to co-inductive types. So I did get a little bit. I get to get to learn a little bit about um, like the friendliness. So Isabel for co-inductive types has this like notion of uh, being a function being friendly for co-recursive calls. And um, I, got okay. to, I got to talk to a lecturer a little bit about that because there's a similarity between that and some of the type-based termination stuff that uh, my group is working on. Well, if since we're, we're moving in that path, let's start by what, what is Sedil, man? Let's talk about Sedil. Yeah, so Sedil is um, an interactive theorem prover slash you know, dependently type functional programming language. Um, it's quite different from some of the other, you know, languages in that class uh, that, you know, probably your listeners are more familiar with, um, such as Agda, Coq, Idris. Um, so basically, the I'll say like what the what the philosophy of Sedil is. Um, the the goal of Sedil is to, or rather, you know, more specifically, the goal of Sedil's you know kernel logic, which is called the calculus of dependent lambda eliminations. Um, it's trying to be a very small logical base that's suitable for programming with and proving with uh, uh, inductive types and dependent types. Um, and the way that we'll say, I'll say a little bit about why that's important, but the, the way that it achieves this mostly is by not having inductive data types as part of the core theory. Uh, instead, they're derivable by using a technique called uh, lambda encodings, which goes back, of course, to the lambda calculus and uh, Alonzo Church. So, you know, 
what's this but what's this about like having a small kernel theory versus you know inductive data types in the theory well um these inductive uh, type definitions are formally speaking they're um, quite heavyweight um, constructs to add to your language you are specifying this schema that describes the class of you know definitions that the user is allowed to add then you also have to include positivity checking in these for the most part so your positivity checker now has to be part of your core theory and then you could just stop there um, if you generate eliminators um, for the data type which is basically like a low level way of using recursive uh, writing recursive functions over the data types but mostly what you want is to is to have some sort of like general purpose termination checker or that's that seems to be the the way um, most implementations go so if you've got general purpose recursive definitions you also have to have some sort of termination checker uh, in your theory as well um, so that basically that increases the formal complexity of of your core theory and what you want you know on the other hand, what you want is to have as small a core theory as possible because, you know, one, you want to make sure that your implementation of it is correct. Um, so in particular, that could be in like a formal verification of the software artifact that's checking this internal theory. Right. So being small, it's a lot easier to have a small program and it's a lot easier to check that. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, if you, you know, even so formal verification could be quite, you know, could be quite ambitious. So like another, another advantage is, is that you can have multiple implementations of that core theory in the same way that you have like multiple implementations of uh, SSL, right? And then you, if you're not sure whether or not the proof generated by your, you know, say Sedil is, is good. Well, the internal, the internal checker for Sedil might say, okay, but you maybe send it over to someone else's implementation to get a, you know, a consensus. There's also something called, I think that the Brown, um, the, the Brown criterion. Yes. Yeah, the, the the Brown criterion. So this is like so the, the Brown criteria talks about having a, a small core to type check your language, right? And what you're saying is it goes even beyond this the Brown criteria, which is not only a small core, but a small soundness proof and sound all of that, right? Uh, no, not not quite. It is it is it is just the de Brown criterion. So yeah, okay, um, okay. yeah, so like even, the, even even stronger in a sense, yeah. Well, but we um. It does turn out that Sedil's, um, you know, the meta theory of Sedil is is pretty simple, uh, at least mm -hmm. if you're familiar with realizability semantics. Um, but you know, that's that's not really as far as um, having a trusted computing base, right? What you really right. want to know is that the formalism is small, and it's the implementation of it is small. Yeah. A side a side benefit though of this that you know we've sort of been playing around with um, is that since we don't fix the notion of inductive, you know, what is an inductive type in the theory, um, we've been actually free to explore, you know, different representations of data types uh, as imperative encodings, as lambda encodings. Um, so that's led to some really cool um, results, such as, um, you know, we had a, we have a submission going out just now um, on constructor subtyping, which is basically like I, you know, say I have the, the integers data type and I want to extend it to the sorry the natural numbers data type and I want to extend it to the integers type by adding a, another constructor well you know that that is derivable within Sedil we have uh, promising results on definable quotient types in Sedil um, as well as you know this is still in its early early stages but inductive inductive types and um, and also you know novel recursion schemes 
for but what, what is that? Chain. What is inductive inductive types? Yeah, so that's a more exotic kind of inductive definition, and I'm definitely not an expert in it, you know, by any means. Um, so I'll just give you the the bullet summary, which is that it's a kind of mutual definition of two inductive types, but it's not just that you know one can reference the other while you're defining it. It's that one can reference the constructors of another. Oh wow! Okay. While yeah. you're defining it, yeah. So it's a very powerful. It's a very powerful form of definition, um, and we do have a a you know in the works. Uh, you know, we still need to show examples and write a paper and everything, but we do have a lambda encoding that allows you to do this. Right. Right. So basically, what you're saying is that the the main reason why the core the the CDU can have such a small core is because you don't have inductive definitions built in in your language and therefore that simplifies things by a lot right so what right. what does how, how how did you guys achieve this why don't um what's what's the novelty here that allowed you to derive these inductive data types that it seems to me that it was not possible before right yes so there is a i think in the early 90s there's a paper by uh Clavers, and sorry if i, I mispronounced that um, that shows that um, so CDLE, the core theory of CDL, is based on you know it has as a subsystem um, a type theory called the calculus of constructions, which is mm -hmm. also you know the calculus of constructions is also a subsystem the subsystem of um, the calculus of inductive constructions, which is the basis of the Cock theorem prover. So um, this paper by Huevers showed that induction is not derivable for natural numbers in you know and presumably for other data types, in the calculus of constructions. Um, so that just means that there are other models. There are other models of this theory where induction doesn't hold. Um, and so what Sadil has done, basically, is instead of just adding inductive data types to the theory, um, we tried to find some smaller uh, typing constructs that would allow you, that would rule out those bad models, basically. And those, those typing constructs are basically... Um, implicit products, so quantifying over, you know, functions that have erased arguments, um, dependent intersections, which are, are um, more of an exotic, you know, quite an exotic feature, and then a primitive notion of equality that is, you know, that's the heart of basically, you know, it, the, the, the rules around the equality are basically the window into the, the model of Sadil, as, uh, as that's, uh, that's how I see it anyway. Right, right. And also, usually, the calculus of constructor is also intrinsic type. It, yeah, it can be. Right. It can be either way. I mean, yeah. so yes, um, you can have the Curry style or Church style. This is, mm -hmm. I think, this is one of the one of the topics that you wanted to get to. Version of the calculus of constructions. So the difference, of course, you know, good to talk about this here. Um, the the intrinsically typed or or Church style uh, calculus of constructions. Mm -hmm. Um, or just any you know intrinsically typed theory. What what makes it intrinsically typed is that types are part of the programs, right? Mm -hmm. So you could have two programs, um, two functions that you know look exactly the same and compute exactly the same way, except that they have different annotations on them. So um, so you know they wouldn't be the same thing because the notion of type is is tightly tied to the notion of program. Mm -hmm. uh, in a Curry style theory. You know, you make a philosophical choice that that programs and functions, computations come first, right? So you're really talking about, you really just care about, you know, an untyped language 
and then you're working in an external system that's assigning types to these, you know, to these terms. So that means, for example, that you, you know, inter intersection types only make sense in Curry style theories because there's there's no way that you could say that a term has two different types, you know, unless those two types are convertible. Uh, you know, basically, unless those two types are exactly the same thing in a in an intrinsically typed language. So, so it wouldn't even be possible in an intrinsic type because you wouldn't be able to have the dependent intersections, right? Right. Could you yes. be able to have this in, this intrinsic notion of how did you call it the, the quality constructor? No, the the equality also is is a it, it, the equality. It's not a the the equality type is not even heterogeneously typed. It is it is untyped. So um, that this is making a very this is making a very very strong you know or staking a very strong position that when you're talking about terms in Sedil, you're really talking about untyped terms. Um, so basically, so, what this equality does is really look into the structure of your term, like goes deep into how your function actually structurally looks to the, to the other. Is that correct? Yes. So it yeah. must so it, really it, be the same same structure, like each lambda and each even the name maybe. Uh, no, not the not the same name. I mean, we 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 are of course um, alpha. You know, uh, programs are equated up to alpha conversion. Um, but it means that, yes, the two programs have to be, you know, after you remove all of the typing annotations and erased arguments that don't have anything to do with the with computation, you know, two, two closed terms are equal if they are, you know, the same lambda terms up to, you know, beta conversion. Right. And you said that this, this notion of equality is what gives you this window inside the model of the theory. What, what do you mean by that? So the ty types in Cedil are, are, you know, quite directly interpreted as sets of beta, eta equivalence classes of terms. So when you have an equality that term T1 is equal to term T2, that is, you know, that is directly translated to this, this beta, eta equivalence class of an untyped term is equal to this other beta, eta equivalence class. So they're in the same, these two terms are in the same class. Um, what does it have to do with like a modeling? Um, what, That's what the model. That the, the so oh so yeah so you've got a um, the you've got the theory which is the formalism and then you want to prove say logical soundness right so um, Sedil gives you you know certain meta or has certain meta theory guarantees uh, for the programs that you write in it and one of these is that there's no proof of false right. Where false here is in, is the function, you know, the polymorphic function, you know, for all x x. So, stating that every type is provable, right? So how can you how can you prove that there is, you know, no proof of false, right? Well, you can give them you can give a model, and then show that the the theory is sound with respect to the model, and then if you show, you know, if for all x x is interpreted as the empty set, right? And your interpretation is sound, then you know that there can be no closed proof of for all xx because gotcha. you know, gotcha. Yeah. Right. That's 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 really cool. Since now inductive data types is not part of your language, so how do how do you come with their derivations then? What's the what's the trick? Oh, so uh, and I, I so I, I will say that you know um, the surface language Sedil does now have you know 
we have the convenient um, inductive data type um, declarations. And, right, um, but under the under the hood, you're actually hood. converting this to something else, right? Right, they're mm -hmm. they're being translated to lambda encodings in the core theory. Okay. Um, okay. So as far as the process is concerned, I don't want to get you know too in the weeds because it's oh that can get to, really deep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to convey. I don't. Uh, it's hard to convey this vocally. Um, I will shamelessly self plug and say that you know I've made a few videos on the the YouTube channel called the Steelcast. And, yeah. Uh, and no. Yeah. I actually I actually had plans to 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 talk about that in the introduction, but I forgot. I am very sorry, but check <laughs> it's out it's his YouTube right. channel and it's on the description of our podcast. Check it out. Yeah. Well, the group's YouTube channel, but I do think I'm the, the most prolific contributor. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're the you're the pretty face of Sedil, Chris. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, <laughs> so so any, anyway, the... Um, uh, to give like a high level, just a really high level view of how how this the derivation goes is you pick you pick an encoding you know that you want to work with. So for simplicity, we'll just say that church encoding. You can define that in just regular old polymorphic um, lambda calculus, and then you also um, there is a related in inductivity predicate for church encodings that you can express in dependent types. You can express this. You can express this in the calculus of constructions. Um, so for like church encodings, um, this would be like for all properties P over church encodings, if P holds for church encoded zero, and for all M, if P holds for M, then P holds for, you know, the encoding of successor of M, then P holds for some particular number, right? So we're not talking about induction and saying that this shows that P holds for all of the numbers. You're talking about a predicate that says given some particular N, right? If I show these base and step cases, then I've showed it holds for this n, right? Um, and then you, this is where, so this is, the next part is where dependent intersections come in. There's this really, um, you know, amazing correspondence uh, that is uh, originally due, I think, to uh, Levant, um, that the, if you take a data type, like a particular, sorry, if you take a particular element of a data type and you prove that it satisfies this predicate that I've just described, that proof is isomorphic to the church encoding of that data type. Um, so the proof say that, you know, that zero, that the induction principle is, is, is proven for zero, right? You say, give me a proof of, give me a proof of, that P holds for zero and give me a proof that it holds, you know, for the, you know, in a successor case, that's lambda Z, lambda S. And when you do, you return Z, right? That's church encoded. That's church encoded zero, and you know the same thing for for a successor. So what Sadil does is says, well, we're, we don't actually have. We're gonna pull a magic trick. You know, we we don't actually have the data type. We just have these church encodings. So we're gonna give proofs that church encoded zero satisfies this inductivity predicate, and that church encoded successor preserves this inductivity predicate. And those two proofs are you know uh are not only you know are they isomorphic to zero and successor but in Sadil they are actually the same term just with different type annotations wow so then then you put them together with dependent intersection which is a way you know so to to i i should say like so intersections intersection types allow you to assign two types to a single term dependent intersections allow one of these types to talk about that very term at the at the other type so in this case we're saying that zero has the intersection type that is one, you know, it's one, a church encoding, and two, 
a proof that zero as a church encoding satisfies the inductivity predicate. And then there's usually a, a third step because um, now you've defined a new type. So the third step is is um, much more technical, but you're bridging. You're basically bridging the gap between um, this inductivity predicate for church encodings versus an induction principle for this new type that you defined. And that's where the that's usually where the equality um, type comes in is to collapse this distinction um, because you're really just talking about two different typings for a term. Wow, that's that's really amazing. So you, I think you mentioned at some point something called Scott encodings as well. What what is that? What, what does that? What's the difference between Scott encoding and church encoding? Maybe you want to give an introduce like a, a brief idea of what church encoding is as well. Yeah, yeah, and I haven't, um, I haven't, I don't think I've talked about Scott encodings yet, but I've certainly talked to you in other you know discussions about them. But yes, yeah. So um, I the sort of like view of Lambda encodings in general that I've come to really like is that they're and this I don't think this is you could say this like or I don't think it's true one hundred percent like um I think there I may know an encoding that this correspondence doesn't hold, but regardless we're gonna put that aside for now is that the I like to think of lambda encodings as solutions to structured recursion schemes right and to give you an idea um the the church encoding is a solution to the iteration scheme um so church encoded naturals are basically if you're trying to find a solution to the type nat and the constructors zero and successor such that you can type the iteration scheme so with that then you know it becomes pretty easy to you know if you if you follow that correspondence then it becomes pretty easy to describe the scott encoding because it's a solution to the case distinction scheme. Yeah. So the idea there is like, you know, the big difference at a more low level, you know, the big difference between the church encoding and the Scott encoding is that, you know, when you're making a, defining a recursive function with a church encoding, you, you have access to the previously recursively computed result, but not the predecessor, right? The predecessor is sort of consumed already in making that recursive, recursive call. Whereas with the Scott encoding, you do get the predecessor, you know, directly, just like with case distinction. Um, but there's not an obvious way to do recursion, right? There's you, you're not handed a previously recursively computed result that you can then refine. You just handed the predecessor. So it might you it might think that okay, well, with the Scott encoding, it's really easy to compute the predecessor, where it's actually sort of a famous result for the church encoding that there's no efficient predecessor function for church naturals. So the best uh, predecessor that you can get takes linear time, which is pretty terrible if you're like, I just, I just want to get the, the next number, right? I shouldn't have to traverse the entire, you know, the entire size of the number. Um, you know, I shouldn't have to go down 100 steps just to get to 99. Um, that should be a constant time operation. But you don't get that for the church encoding, and you do get that for the Scott encoding. So sort of my, like, special interest in... Scott encodings, I guess, is that um, when I say it's not obvious how to define, uh, recur you know, recursive functions over them when you don't have already a general form of, of recursion, like, you know, general fixed points or general recursive types. Um, but you still can. You can actually still define a strongly normalizing recursor for Scott encodings in certain type theories, certain somewhat exotic type theories. And to give you an idea, when I the setting that I learned about this in was another Curry style type theory that had um cyclic subtyping rules. Um which is 
you know, cyclic proof theory is a really is a really deep um, and and complicated topic that I've only studied just a little bit. But it's you know, this is a very sophisticated and cool subtyping system that they've developed. And the only other systems that I know of where you can do this, you know, the only other system that I know of where you can do this in theory is Sedil, <laughs> which is another very, you know, strange and heterodox uh, type theory. Wait, so Sedil can actually do cyclic proofs in them? Not, that's, not, that's not what I'm claiming. Um, I okay. am sort of interested in pursuing that correspondence a bit further. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. What I should say is they use they, they this system that I'm talking about, uh, Lepic and Rafali. They use cyclic subtyping to type a strongly normalizing recursor for Scott Naturals. Gotcha. And Sedil Sedil used derived uses derived recursive types uh, to do the same thing. Can you do they still have soundness guaranteed about about their logic then with cyclic proofs? Yes, um, because cyclic cyclic doesn't um, doesn't mean circular. Um, so like, like, um, it, it sort of sounds like it would be, um, that it, it couldn't be, cons yeah, that it couldn't be consistent, but, um, cyclic th proof theory is, is sort of like, um, what's how to put it? The basis of it is proof by infinite descent. So, um, and that, that idea is, is that you, you know, you show, you give sort of a cycle in a proof. Uh, you give a proof that's a cycle, but every loop in the cycle, some measure is decreasing. Right. And right, then right. the reason it's sound is because that say that measure is a natural number, right? And it's you can't have an infinite descent from that natural number. So at some point, it's going to bottom out. Very interesting. Well, yeah, the, the way the way you describe it, it seems that there might be some some correlation, yeah, between what's happening in the cyclic proofs of their of their language and and Sedil, right? That's that's actually yes. very exciting. Yeah, maybe you can actually encode the cyclic proofs in Sedil. We just we just don't know how yet. Yeah, that that is certainly something I'd be interested in in looking into. You know, the fact that you can do it for this one ex this one example, which is it's quite sophisticated. The construction for the the recursor for Scott Naturals. Um, the fact that you can do it for a complicated example like that makes me think. Well, what you know, what else can you do? So okay, what's the difference then? between how you work in Sedil and how you work, say, in Caulk and Agda? Is it kind of similar? Is it too different? How, how would you compare? Uh, do you mean like the, the tooling? Or do you mean like how do you, how do you go about like the kinds of problems and the ways you approach, approach problems in these two settings? I think, I think I'm, I'm interested in hearing, you know, like, do you guys have any interest in being, you know, like a big theorem prover? What what would be the use case? Is there any use case or is it more interest in seeing what are interesting meta theoretical results that we can derive from here? What are the interesting set of problems that Sedil would make it very easy to work against? Or even, you know, like maybe because for example even um, the the idea behind idris idris i never know how to how to say idris or idris anyway, it's a theorem prover. i've heard idris idris yeah. the idea is to be you know like not only a theorem prover but a programming language right so what's the what's the philosophy behind behind the sedil theorem prover yeah so so right now it's it's more of an exploration tool um we do of course want to uh, we want to Forge a new path, basically, into the design space of um, of dependent type programming languages. Um, so some of the things that you can you can do in Sedil um, are, for example, um, this was like a, a ICFP eighteen paper 
um, is you can, so one example, one issue with programming with dependent types is this problem of data reuse, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and what I mean is, is that you have like ordinary lists, you know, that you program with. And then if you want to reason about the lengths of those lists, you go to length index list or what are, you know, what's commonly called vectors, right? Or if you want to talk about provably sorted lists, you come up with another data type that's the type of sorted lists, right? And there's functionality that's shared over all of these, these variants of lists, right? Say, um, uh, a, you know, appending, right? Although it's a little bit different, you know, with sorted lists, you'd have to have an additional proof that, you know, the bounds match up. Um, but with length index list, you know, um, doing append, doing a map, uh, all sorts of things. And if these are two, you know, nominally different types, then you've got two choices. You re-implement all the functionality, you know, for lists over length index lists, or you write a conversion function, right? You can convert back and forth between them. But the conversion function, what is it going to do? It's going to tear down, you know, the length index list. And for every, you know, cons it removes, it's going to replace it with a, a cons from the other data type. So what you've got is a, a linear time computation to, to do basically nothing, right? To just take, take some data and change its representation so it has the right type. Um, so in Sedil, you can do this conversion in zero cost time, right? It's, a, it's the, the retyping function is, is quite literally lambda xx. I mean, there are more annotations, you know, there's, there's a lot of more fancy annotations going on. But if you take that, if you take the reuse program and then you extract out the actual computation, it just takes a list and returns a length index list whose length is the length of the original list. Um, so you get, you get this reuse at no, at no runtime cost. That is, that is really cool. That's really, really cool. Yeah. So what about, you know, the usability of the tool? How would you... I know you guys don't have tactic, tactics, for example, right? The same way Agda doesn't... Does Agda have tactics nowadays? The I last I heard, Agda, Agda uses um, reflection that I think this, is, this is, might be very out of date. So, But um, they, they're, they're, the team is going for sort of hygienic tactics where you, you take a, a goal state in the language and reflect it into a data structure and then write an Agda program to manipulate it and then, you know, turn that back into... So I don't know what the status of that is, um, but there, you know, there's certainly an interest in, in tactics, and there's some amount of automation, I think, uh, implemented in Agda, but, of but not, yeah, I think, to the extent that they have in Kong. Mm -hmm. And so do you, you don't have tactics at all? No. Um, so it's quite... It, it can be, if you're working through, you know, if you're doing something like, say, reasoning about modular arithmetic, uh, which is something that I, you know, I uh, did have to do on a this like definable quotients thing. It can be it can be quite um, well. It can be quite a challenge. You have to spell out the you have to spell out your proofs pretty explicitly. True, true. Well, but on the other hand, there is a really really nice package for Emacs that really helps you to program in Sedil, right? Like really gives you what are the types being expected and how things match up and shows even. You can even walk through the term and see what are the right. the, the, the the types of the intermediate structures and whatnot. It's it's a very nice tool actually. It feels yeah, nice. yeah. I 
I, I also I also agree that reading, you know, reading CDL programs, if writing CDL programs is kind of painful sometimes, reading CDL programs is, is quite pleasant because of this tool right. that allows you to yeah. basically navigate the abstract syntax tree and inspect things like what's the type here? What's the current context? Um, what, are, what are the unsolved? You know, we have a very limited form of type inference uh, and, you know, that was implemented by me. So I can I can uh, I can say whatever bad things I want about it, <laughs> um, but uh, um, you can even like look at a um, an application that has a that you know that's inferred some type argument and look at the look at what it you know look at what the solve the solutions were for the meta variables. So. Right, 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 right. Yeah, those, those things are actually are actually pretty cool. And also programming with real uh, holes and like in this this notion of yes. refinement. To be completely honest, when I when I open up a Cedil script, I'd say it 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 feels nice to look at those. How can I say? It's not it's a it's a very different programming language because there are not many keywords. You know, like it's very yes, a lot of symbols. And I mean, it it can feel very confusing at the beginning, but as you as you learn, it it feels nice because it's it's a, it's very compact as well, and it it looks good. It's it's, it's really nice. I, I enjoy it. Glad to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly not an unbiased, um, you know, I'm not an uh, unbiased witness at this point, but I, I do sort of agree that it's a little, it's a little bit quirky at first, and we've certainly had a number of reviewers complain about, yeah, not quite understanding the syntax, but yeah. you know, after a while, after a while, you certainly get used to it, and it, it does, it does, to me, I think, make quite a lot of sense. You know, I, I was talking to this with with someone that had a had had a similar point of view. And, and I get it. I get it. It's, it's kind. Of, it's kind of annoying, you know. Like everyone is using to doing the same thing, and it's a lot easier to move from different programming languages and programming environments. So when someone comes and and show different things and and new stuff, it's it's hard, right? Like it's it's you're adding complexity, and it's it's harder for people around to understand. And it's yeah. it's it's a good it's it's a it's it's a fair argument, I'd say. But at the same time, for me. There must be people who comes to you know like try changes has to become people who comes and hey what if what if we throw everything away and and start from scratch you know like what if we don't assume anything that we already have what if we literally try to solve this this thing this 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 question here from scratch and what's gonna happen right so that's that's a very interesting question for me and a very interesting endeavor you know like and see what what works and what definitely does not work and maybe there are some of these ideas that we can migrate in between right like maybe you guys can come up with some really cool ideas that that the cog developers are going to be interested the agile developers are going to be interested as well and that's very that's very good right like that's why we do different people do different research and we collaborate with each other so sure absolutely it's, it's a nice and we, thing, yeah. we do also want to have some of the like like right again right now our um you know the syntax for defining recursive functions is a little bit it's quite a bit, I should say, more primitive. And again, I I can say that because I'm the one who designed it and implemented it, so I can say whatever <laughs> bad things I want about it. <laughs> but the 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 syntax for that is still a little bit low level, and we do want to eventually have the nice the nicer higher level, like you know, left hand side with patterns equals right hand side that notation that people right. are more familiar with in right. say Pascal right. Agda. To be completely but, honest, though, I believe that there is one thing that you guys got right, and that completely sucks in Cog. Which is dependent pattern matching. <laughs> so in dependent pattern match, you need to you usually need to write down the motive 
And in order to understand what's happening under the hood in Coq, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare because all this, those keywords as in return, blah, 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 like, those doesn't, like, it doesn't come together. It's, it's hard to understand what's going on in, in Coq. So when I actually understood the pen and pattern matching was actually when I was learning Sadil. <laughs> because you, you guys ah. provide the right intuition behind what's the motive doing here. I don't, I, I, maybe you want to get into the details. What does, does this mean? Because I, I'm definitely not going to be able to explain here. But well, I, I will say that if you don't know what's going on with dependent pattern matching, it, you, it very well is probably it probably is easier to work with Sadil because you right. don't get any of that automation. Um, exactly. So you have to you have to figure you have to spell out you know the explicit the equations explicitly for the terms that are revealed by pattern matching. Uh, but I you know I I would say even despite that, having dependent pattern matching in Sadil is something that I would really really like to have. Right. No. Yeah. So my, my, my point is, is that the key idea behind dependent pattern match is to write down the elimination function, right? And the way you write down the elimination function in, in Coq is, I would, I would dare to say it's wonky <laughs> because it doesn't feel like it's a function at all. It's like, it, it feels like it are different things mentioning about different stuff here and there. And as, as someone who is learning, you know, like um, it, it felt hard to, to get to get a to get a hold of it, but on the philosophy of of Sadil, it's just this one function, and you know exactly what is expected. You know, like what why we're writing this and why we're writing that, and it feels you know natural to get the intuition behind what this is doing. You know, like this is this is literally just telling what's going to be the return of my pattern match in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. So, anyways, moving on, you mentioned that you would like to touch on the meta theoretics guarantees. Of Sadil, what are the interesting things that we that you have there? Yeah, so uh, I did mention one of them. This is the logical consistency, or you know, there's no there's no proof of there's no closed proof of false. Uh, another one that's pretty straightforward um, is uh, so Sadil Sadil is a Curry style theory. So okay, I should back up even further. So one of the things that you would be interested in an intrinsically intrinsically type language is something called type preservation. So you take your well-type program and you run it, and however far you run it, you know what you get is still a well-type program, right? Being extrinsically typed, um, you know th this commitment to untyped terms, like it goes, um, it goes quite deep, and in the sense that there isn't an operational semantics for terms with type annotations. There, there is just beta reduction of untyped lambda calculus. You're right? making it sound so, that it's really easy to get stuck now. Um, but how uh, how would you get stuck? Because you can't get stuck with um, untyped. You, you know, you're not going to get stuck in a sense with untyped lambda calculus terms. There's no there's no stuck state. Okay, go on. Yeah. So so what you get instead is um, um, a semantic type preservation. So you you have a typing derivation in Sadil that says that this term is an element of this type. That means that that the beta eta equivalence class that the term represents is in the set denoted by the um, denoted by the type, right? And these sets are closed under beta eta reduction. So if you then take that term, that untyped term, and run it, right? Sort of like you know by definition. Right? I mean, it's not exactly by definition, but pretty much immediately, if you t if you run that term, that term is still going to be in the same equivalence class. So it's in the same set, right? Um, and then the the um, the third thing. So 
Um, and this one, this can get a little bit more, you know, this is basically like there, there are certain trade-offs to using, um, in using Cedilla. And this is one of the ones that, um, that may people may cause people to sort of like pause and, and like, well, take notice because, um, you can type non-terminating terms in Cedilla that doesn't impinge on soundness because you can't, you can't take non-termination in Cedilla and use it to inhabit any type, right? The types, the terms that are non-terminating, um, their types will reveal that those types admit non-termination. To make that a little bit more concrete, the the termination guarantee in Cedil is dependent upon the type. The termination guarantee for a term depends upon the type that you can assign it. And so in particular, if you can assign a function, a if you can assign a term, a function type, then that term is call by name normalizing. And I should also mention that all data types, all data types that um, that we've worked with, have that property that um, you could you could take the term for a, a data type, and you could take a term that's an element of a data type and also assign it a function type. Right. So this this is hard for me to follow. So can you can you repeat that that part where you say that you cannot inhabit a term that is going to be that doesn't terminate, right? Yeah, you can you can um, you can write non-terminating terms and give them types and Cedil, um, but the types would not be just ordinary function types. Um, you would have you'd have two cases basically. So the two ways that um, that non-termination can can be introduced in Cedil. One of these is that it's possible to derive a, just a type for all untyped lambda calculus terms, and so we call that type top. And so, of course, that means like non-terminating um, lambda calculus terms have that type, right? But you can't you can't really like top is the least informative type that you could give a term. It's just that it it is a term, right? Uh, it's that's closed in context. That's basically all you can say about it. Um, so you you can't you for an arbitrary term of type top you can't you can't use it as a function and know anything about the result. The other way you can introduce non-termination is by having an inconsistent context. So if you have a function that um that if you have a function that assumes that true is equal to false, right? Um that function would be call by name normalizing, which means that you'd, you know if you reduce that function you'd get to a lambda expression, but at that point the body, you know, because you don't reduce under under Lambda abstractions with these call by name, uh, with the call by name operations mappings, um, or call by value. Um, but in the body, you could you could use this proof that true is equal to false to do really mischievous stuff. Basically, assign a type to omega to to actually assign a meaningful type to omega because at that point you've already assumed you've already assumed you're in a world that's inconsistent. And one of the things you can do in Cedil is reason about the types of programs yeah. but closed closed terms of function types um are guaranteed guaranteed to be called by name normalizing is that our, is there a keyword to add axioms into the deal no okay okay yeah that makes things easier because you know like it's more of a more tight control over the the context yeah. right it's it's right well, there written in there there are ways to simulate adding context oh, sorry adding axioms oh yeah yeah, the this is one of the um, the axioms for equality that gives you quite a lot of power is the direct computation rule. Um, so it allows you to say basically like I I have a term that's well typed, right? And then I have another term that I make no promises about, except that it's equal to this first well typed term, and that 
the phi rule allows you to, to graft the one type to the other type. So you can basically assign another, this. you can take an untyped term and all that you know about it is, it is it's equal to a type term. And from that, this allows you to assign that type to the untyped term. How, so, how do you go with from there from that to accents? Right. So if you want to, uh, you can use holes. So this, I mean, this means that the the, the program won't type check, right? Oh, right. Um, yeah. I yeah. See. So you you can use holes to give some like definitions that you you don't you don't define. But then you can use phi to specifically say that that this expression is equal. You know that this expression is equal to that expression and it has this type. Right. Right. But then, in the end of the day, you don't. Yeah, the hole is is. I would say the hole is the axiom here because the hole doesn't. Yeah. It's it's a term that has a type but doesn't have a body, so it can be literally yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see that. Any other interesting meta theoretic guarantees? Um, maybe not so. Maybe not so interesting. But um, uh, I did recently contribute contributed result to Sadil's meta theory, which is um. So I mentioned that we don't have um, you know, the language of terms is really untyped. And so you don't have a notion of type preservation. Um, but the language of types, that is, the language of types in Sadil is church style. Um, so kinds are intrinsic parts of types, which kinds are the classifiers for types. And I recently proved that we you do have syntactic kind preservation when you normalize types. So You don't quite have the lambda cube in... in... Next basic type theory, right? Yeah, it's a it's a little bit different. I remember reading so one the place that we um, the origin of the implicit product, which is one of the type constructs that Sadil adds, is by um, this, this researcher called um, and again, hope I don't mispronounce this name too terribly, but Mikael, and he had proposed a sort of a formalism for these kinds of theories that are more you know that are more Curry style and spe specifically ones that have implicit products as implicit uh, pure type system. So, but yeah, it is, it is, it's not quite, yeah, if you're Curry style, then you don't quite fit into the Lambda cube. Right. But it's still, we still can, can draw some parallel, right? Because, right. because as I, as I could see, Sedu is not quite far into the spectrum as CIC, because CIC, you can have, you can have your types talking about literally everything, right? that you can conceive. And it seems to me that Sadil is a little less strong than that in the sense of like, you can only talk about second order in a sense, second order properties. Does that make sense to you? Um, well, we only, so it, it, I think what you're, I think what you're getting at is that the universe, you know, the universe hierarchy in Sadil is stratified, right? Sorry, I mean, not stratified. It's, it's uh, truncated is what I'm looking for. So you have terms, Types and kinds, right, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah, right. And types, types are uh, essentially simply kinded, um, although they can, you know, they can, you know, kinds can abstract over terms as well. But right, right. essentially, essentially, they're simply kinded. Exactly, but in in CIC, in COC, it's it's like it's not stratified. You can go all the way down and, and yeah, the the extended. I think this is like the right, extended right. calculus of constructions. You because because I, I think the original formulation of calculus of inductive constructions doesn't have a a universe hierarchy. But as it is implemented in clock, you've got this. Yeah. You know, you've got this hierarchy where you can talk about you know types at level you know L can talk about types at level right, L minus right. one. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Basically, yeah. What what I was looking for is that in Sedil you stop at kinds because then when you're talking about kinds you cannot go down anymore like that's it right 
That's it. You you define your type and you can give a shape to your type and that's it. Right. So this has been, um, maybe this is something I, I don't think I mentioned in the prep notes, but that might be interesting to talk about is that um, type level programming in Sedil is is more, this is one of the disadvantages of a Curry style setting is that type, uh, it seems to me that type level programming is a little bit less, I mean, the type like the here the type language, the things that you can do with types are not as um, sophisticated as what you can do in an intrinsically intrinsically typed language like Agda, for example, um, I want to have you know in Agda I have no problem with having a large pair, right? Um, a dependent pair where the first the first element is a type, and the second element is a term of that type. What can I do with that pair? I can take the first projection. I can project out that type. Well, in in Cedil, types again um, are not really part of the term language. They're just you know, annotations on top of terms. So you can define the type of a pair like this in Sedil, but you cannot define a first projection function um, because that type isn't there. There's nothing to there's nothing to project out. So um, a, a similar sort of thing is um, like large eliminations. So taking an inductive type and recursively computing a type from a term of that type um, is something that is pretty straightforward to do. Uh, to, to formulate and set up in an intrinsically typed it de language. It depends. It depends. It's very easy to break your stuff with, with that. So you have to be in the right universe in order to do that. Otherwise, things can go wrong very fast. But well, even yeah. in a in a, a truncated universe, you can have yeah. special elimination rules. You know, one one set of rules for small eliminations and one set of rules for large eliminations. Right. So you don't even need a universe hierarchy for large eliminations. Um, but mm -hmm. That's you know, especially in Sedil, data types are not primitive, so you don't you don't have special small elimination rules for data types, <laughs> let alone large eliminations one rules, right? right? Um, but something that I have, I and a couple of my colleagues have submitted recently that we hope to you know get you know get some feedback on and maybe even uh, publish is a way of simulating large eliminations. Um, mm. But yeah, by using um, type coercions instead of actual computation at the type level so that's that's exciting uh work that we're currently we're doing and finally i think the last topic we wanted to cover is type-based termination checker what is that checking yeah yeah so um i did i mentioned at the sort of the outset is like why you know what 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 is the deal and why should you be interested in it is that one of the one of the ways that complexity can be introduced into an interactive theorem prover is um if the the you know the core theory or even you know yeah if the core theory for example has general fixed points uh for recursive functions because then you need to make sure if you want your theory to be sound you want to make sure that your recursive calls are well founded so there are a couple of different ways that you can go about doing this you can just forget these general you know fixed point definitions and just work with data type eliminators um but that's a little bit low level you know it's not really convenient to work with um so that's why most you know interactive theorem provers that you use have something that looks like general recursion, you know, except you know it's not it isn't fully general recursion. So languages, you know, like Agda or Coq, they use um, syntactic termination checkers that just make sure that the you know the function, the recursive function that you're defining, when you call it, it's being called literally on something that was revealed by pattern matching, right? Um, or it could be more exotic and 
be revealed by nested pattern matching. Um, but you know, that's that's essentially the idea is a syntactic check. These syntactic checkers are a bit they can be a bit brittle. I mean, if you just take that recursive call and refactor it, you know, using a like a higher order function or whatever, then suddenly the the function that you've written doesn't pass the syntactic check because you've refactored the direct direct application. So syntactic termination checkers are great, you know, until they stop working. And then you realize that the reasoning that's involved, you know, it's not compositional because um, it, it breaks with refactoring and it's not local, right? Um, so that's that's why a lot of uh, researchers are now interested in, in type-based termination checking, where you you have the types, basically, you you extend the typing the type language in some way um, such that you uh, that the types tell you what are legal arguments for a recursive call and the reason that this is desirable is exactly because you know reasoning about types is local um, you know unless you know modulo sort of like you know unification or whatnot right if you just you know, if you ignore that bit um, but for the most part it's local and it's compositional so most familiar example of type-based termination checking that you know people will have heard of would probably be size types. Right, right, types. right. That's what I was thinking so you, about. It sounds very similar what we're getting into here. Right? Yeah, that's 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 probably the um, yeah that's that's an excellent excellent example. So you've got data types that now come with size indices, and you know what you the the function that you're defining recursively, it's only legal to call data call make a recursive call on data that has an index that's smaller than what you started with. So, but this again, this requires an extension. You know, if you just take you know some you know calculus of inductive constructions or Martin Luth type theory, you extend it with size index types in order to get in order to get this. So in Sedil, we're again you know doing something quite different. Uh, and what's kind of cool is we're going back, in a sense, you know, we're going back to the inspiration for. Um, Type-based termination checking, which is Mendler-style uh, Mendler-style encodings and Mendler-style uh, recursion schemes. Um, so I, I, we we don't need to get you know too much into the to the weeds of again what this is, but it's another uh, just as a high level Mendler-style recursion is is um, another kind of structured recursion scheme, but it's neat because it looks a lot like general recursion. Uh, and the key idea is that um, you, you get the handle, you know, you get your handle for making recursive calls, um, but the the arguments that you can apply it to are, it's not the data type, it's this abstracted type, right? So really, termination is being guaranteed by polymorphism, polymorphism alone. Um, no, no addition to the to the language whatsoever. It's all just based on polymorphic typing, which is something that you know functional programmers are pretty familiar and comfortable with right 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 that sounds very powerful yeah yeah so the the simplest formulation of Mendler style recursion is you know it, it doesn't really even compare you know it's much weaker than size types um, however something again something that our group has been working on is um, you know taking Mendler style style encodings which are just how you you know Define data types in Sedil with Mendeley style recursion schemes. As you take the the scheme and you turn it into the turn it into the encoding, um, but defining an encoding that's powerful enough to be able to talk about like taking data and um, you know doing multiple case you know uh, multiple levels of case analysis 
So you could you could make a recursive call on you know predecessors that are arbitrary deep, but also take some data and kick off a subsidiary recursion where you rebuild that data up to a certain size. And again, this is all implicit, right? There's no explicit notion of size here, um, but you it's just like I'm going to rebuild the data into a certain type that I can then at the the parent recursive function I'm and still legal to make a recursive call on. And it's all just type variables, uh, no no indices whatsoever. When when I when I talk about about Cedu, I'm usually talking about the surface language. And you, when you're, you're talking about Cedu, <laughs> you're probably talking about the core language, right? But in my in my head, so this probably comes down when you're doing the pattern match. So pattern match in Cedu in the the front front end, it's basically like the mu, right? It's been yeah, a while. I don't, a... I don't. I don't. I don't play around with Cedil, but my the, times, the... you know, like <laughs> it was the mu. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the the mu uh, symbol is for kicking off a recursive uh, uh, recursive function over data types. Yeah, and then sigma is is what we use for just case analysis. Yeah, yeah. When I first started playing around with Cedil, the the mu was for both. It mu was fine, prime, but, but yeah. it's it's nice to have one for each. Yeah, I can see the the like. Anyways, um. But yeah, so in this in this higher level language, so every time you do this recursive call, you know, like you're you're, you're opening this recursion scope, you're basically like retyping, and then right, and then inside this this new scope here, then you have this this new kind of type yeah. that will allow you to to do the recursion or not, right? Yeah. So when you're making a recursive call, you do case analysis and the subdata that's revealed. You know the recursive subdata. It doesn't have like say type nat, right? It has you know this abstracted type r yeah. that's introduced you know completely fresh, right? Um, right. To the which is coercible uh, to, back to r if you yes. that if you want, yeah. Yes, exactly. So your the recursive function that you're defining, the arguments it takes are also not of type nat. They're of this type r. So you can't call it on an arbitrary nat because that would be unfounded but you can call it on the subdata that you revealed and then you know you can take that subdata and inspect it further and that inspection is type preserving and also if you want to do something else with that subdata like kick off some other recursive function that expects a nat you can cast you can yeah exactly you can coerce that type back to the type nat and again that coercion is is just a retyping function so um what it boils down to is just lambda xx Oh, hang on. But if you call another function in this, in this, in your in your argument here, then you can you can grow your argument arbitrarily. No. Right, but you've left you've you've left the type. Right. You you went from this type R to type nat. So you cannot come back. That's the key. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. You can you can go from this new this new type that your function ex that your recursive function expects back to nat, but not the other way around. It's a bit like a subtype, right? Yeah. You can think yeah. of this type R as being the subtype of naturals that are predecessors of the current natural. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. that's really cool, actually. Yeah. Like a notion of subtypes that, don't, that never match, never talks about subtyping. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For termination checking. Yeah. But I mean, that that's that's the idea for size types as well. Is that the you usually have a notion of promotion uh, in size types that you can take a term at a, a certain index and promote it to a larger index, you know, without a problem. It's just going back the other way. Um, that would be unsound. Right, right, right. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, we are already more than one hour in this episode, so we should probably start wrapping it up. 
Is there anything that you think we left out? Would you like to mention or, you know, an interesting anecdote you would like to share? <laughs> um, uh, no, I, I think we did a, a pretty good job of covering quite a lot of bases for, you know, you know, an introduction to Sadio. And I, I fear that I've already, I may have already dived too much into the weeds, but, um, you know, hopefully you're, I hope your listeners get something out of it. And yeah, I mean, if you want, if, if the, if, you listener are interested in learning more about Sadil. We've got a um, a page, a web page. Uh, I think it's just like sadil.github.io, uh, and also a GitHub page for the the project. And it's open source, so you can you can take a look at it. And and yeah, it's probably a good time to also mention that your advisor also have a podcast, and they should also check it out. It's the Iowa Type Theory Commute yes. podcast. Yes. and. He it can be really technical over there, although he is an excellent teacher, you know, like he's an actual professor and will teach you things from bottom to the top and like yeah, absolutely with an actual yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way that it's it's understandable. It's it's a very nice podcast. You guys should check that out. So yeah. Thank you so much for coming here, Chris. Thank you again for having me. So yep. That was it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Don't forget to check out the links in the description. If you guys have any questions or comments, leave them in our website www.typetheoryforall.com and I'll see you guys next time.